My friend who's seeking God, stop thinking that you are putting something between you and God, that you've got to do something to get to God. God is actually coming to you first. God gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not before you do anything. So as long as you've got that going on, you're going to be missing out in the richness, the confidence, the freedom that comes from grace. Hey everyone, welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I'm Nicole and I am so excited about the series that we're in because we are just doing a deep dive, making connections between the New Testament and the Old Testament because we have been given the mandate to do so. It says in 2 Corinthians that the Bible has the the idea of the law has been unveiled to those of us who are in Christ and because of that, we have great confidence. So we're here to build our confidence in the God who has given us this incredible story, to build our confidence in the promises and covenant of Jesus, to build our confidence in the power of grace. And that's what we're doing today. We are in Genesis 15. If you're just joining us, you can just jump in right here with us. This will give you a good flavor for what we're doing. But I will tell you, we have been building on some concepts over the last few weeks. So you may want to jump on back and start at the beginning. Unveiled started a couple weeks ago, coming right out of Easter. But today we're going to talk about covenants. We're going to talk about promises. And y'all, if you have not taken a look at what is here for us yet, I am telling you, it is so rich. It is so full. If you are a person who loves meaning and connections and you love kind of clues, this is a clue week about what Jesus has really done for us through his sacrifice and his resurrection. And it actually takes us all the way back to Genesis 15. So last week we were in Genesis 14, and I just want to point out that the whole mystery of Melchizedek happens before the next moment that we're coming into. And that's going to be very important because we're going to focus on the before in this passage, what's happening in the order that it is happening. Okay, so we're going to be in Genesis 15. I'm going to read you our scripture. We're going to work through our live method together. We're going to wring everything we can out of this passage in just a few minutes time. Genesis 15 verse 1. After this, okay, friends, what do we do? When we know it says after this, we're like, let's make sure we understand what happened before. The good thing is we do know what happened before, because right before this is when Melchizedek blesses Abram and Abram gives him a tenth of all of his plunder. Okay, so we have this crazy little moment where we see Abraham giving sort of honor to this this priest who's higher than him. And we found out last week about all of what that means, right? So after this, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. The man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside. I love this. Verse five. This is still talking about the Lord. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse six. Abram believed the Lord 
and he credited it to him as righteousness. Okay. This is one of the key verses that you want to know in the Bible if you want to understand how God is playing out this story of grace, how God is playing out the covenant that he's going to make in Jesus, this covenant of grace. That verse right there, verse six, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So we're in the first question of a live method. What does it say? Okay. So what does it say in this verse? What does Abram do in this verse? Yes, that's right, my friends. He believes. What does God do? And then you're going to see God credited that as righteousness. What does Abram not do? Abram doesn't do any good works. He doesn't make any sacrifices. He doesn't say sorry. He doesn't confess. He does one thing. He believes what God has said. And then there's something that takes place, right? In Abram's belief, God takes that belief and treats it as righteousness, He doesn't treat Abram's righteousness as righteousness. He doesn't say, hey, Abram, I've been watching you for the last week. You did a great job. Not really, no messing up. You really did a great job at being righteous. So therefore, I'm going to credit that to you as righteousness. No, he does a transaction where he takes one thing that Abram gives and he turns it into a different thing. This kind of language credited to, to him as righteousness, it's legal language. It's like accounting language. It's like a coupon, an incredible, <laughs> and that is not a really good analogy, but let's go with it. An incredible universal coupon where Abram's belief turns into this discount, this, this, this accounting where it turns into righteousness. And so many of us in the Old Testament, we get caught up in conditional covenants and all the things that are happening. If you don't even know what I'm talking about, conditional covenants, what I mean is this feeling like God says, hey, people, this is what you need to do. And then the people don't do it and they get in trouble, right? And of course that gets us tripped up because we're like, wait a second, in Christianity, we talk about grace, but in the Old Testament, we see a lot of stuff that doesn't feel like grace. It feels like God's saying, it seems like God is punishing when he gives a law and then people break it. It seems like he punishes for it. Who is this God? Is this the same? God who's a God of grace, I understand. It is confusing, and we do want to understand it. It is really important to understand. Now, I would actually say, let's talk about the motives behind understanding it, because many of us are so steeped in this idea of a legalistic life that we're trying to find the loopholes around how do I get to heaven and still just live whatever kind of life I want? How do I get to heaven, or how do I stay in God's good graces, but just like keep sinning any way I want? That's not actually how it works. As we come into more and more love of Jesus, as we spend the kind of time that we're spending here together, what's going to happen, guys, in your spirit is sin is going to become distasteful to you. Now, of course, we struggle with sin. We struggle with sin patterns our entire earthly life. That is true. But when we reveal this idea that we're trying to find loopholes around, like, is grace mean I can do whatever I want? That is, frankly, love you deeply. This is said in love as your big sister in the Lord. That's frankly a very immature thinking pattern. Now, don't go say that to somebody else. I'm not saying that. I'm not telling you to use that as a weapon against your children right now or anyone else. What I'm saying is for you in your own heart, you who is listening right now, to examine this part of us that's a little bit, and I have it. I have it in me. I have a huge part of me is like, how do I just get around 
having to do the right thing, you know? Oh, grace allows me to get around having to do the right thing. But here's the thing. When we don't do the right thing, life doesn't go as well. (laughs) Like God's design for us is actually so that our life can flourish. Like the design, the, the way of God is actually for our peace and flourishing here in this life. So when I work around that, there is consequences. Like it's not as good. When we think about this idea of what's happening here, this place, this powerful phrase, Abram believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness, is the clue, the signal that there is a covenant of grace that is more powerful than any of these other ways that God is engaging with us. And it almost supersedes those. Like, because if the covenant of grace didn't supersede what God said, why did God stick around with his chosen people? You know what I'm saying? For those of you who have read the Bible, if you're not reading it, I encourage you. I'm reading in Exodus right now. If you want to read in Genesis and Exodus, if you haven't done that before, you're going to see a very quick pattern. The quick pattern is God tells his people to do stuff and they don't do it. (laughs) He does it over and over again. And he gets mad, right? I mean, he's, he, we see him that kind of use personification in here where God is like expressing his relationship right through, through Moses, who's the leader of God's people. But here's the thing. God doesn't abandon them. Like they're, he's still with them. Even when they go through punishment, even when they go through consequences, even when they experience the hardship of their rebellion, God is still with them. The covenant of grace supersedes that. If the covenant of law, the idea of this conditional promise was the only thing operating right now in the system, then God would just say, I'm done with you people. You broke the covenant. Because we do break the covenant of law all the time, but there's something greater going on. And that's something greater we get a clue for before God even goes to the Israelites, before any of that even happens. Back here in Abraham, back here in Genesis, we see this clue that there is this grace that is going to be the powerful force in Jesus Christ. That is the reason that you and I get to be here in standing with God to understand and have our hearts unveiled to this big story of the reality of our life. Yeah. So that's what's actually going on. Now, again, remember we talked about last week with Unveiled. You can also back into some of these big stories because they're actually explained for you in the New Testament. And this one is explained as well in Romans chapter four. So I'm going to read for you a passage of Romans chapter four, and we'll talk about this interpretation. What then shall we say about Abraham? This is verse one. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What did he discover in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. But what does scripture say? Here we go. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now listen to this. This is the explanation of this covenant. Now to the one who works, wages are not a gift. They're an obligation, right? So if I'm working for my wages, then I'm, I'm, not get, I'm not getting a gift from anyone. I'm getting what I deserve. However, to the one who does not work, verse five, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It goes on to talk about how David also says the same thing in the Psalms. I'm going to skip that part because I, I want to make sure we get to something else as well. Okay. So if you go all the way down, it says verse 14, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and their promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith 
so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. This is where we see this idea that, and it goes on, actually, you can go read Romans 4 if you want to read more about it. It talks about why those words credited to righteousness were not just for him, but they're they're for us as well, that we get to employ this same covenant is available to us. And this makes us like the the idea of Abraham um, is the father of the Israelites in in sort of flesh, in lineage. What's happening here in Romans chapter 4 is that Paul is saying, no, actually, Abraham is the father of those who believe. Like, what makes Abraham the father of faith is not his lineage physically. It's his lineage spiritually. And the spiritual lineage is this moment where God goes before Abram, says, I have all of this for you. Remember I talked about at the beginning, what happens before is super important. Because before Abraham does anything, God says, this is what I'm promising you. This is what I have for you. Before Abram does anything, Melchizedek comes to bless him. Before Abraham responds, God says, these are the promises I have for you. My friend who's seeking God, stop thinking that you are putting something between you and God, that you've got to do something to get to God. God is actually coming to you first to say, these promises are for you. He comes to you in your sin. He comes to you in your deadness, in the part of you that can't make it right. He comes to you in that. He goes before you. It says God gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That is verse 17 in Romans chapter 4. God gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not before you do anything. What happens when we move the dial from here's the things I need to do to get right with God to here's the things that God has done so that I can be right with him. When we move that dial, we have confidence. As long as the dial is still turned toward you doing things to make yourself right with God, you are going to fail, my friend. And you are going to be frustrated and you are going to be insecure and you are going to be unsure and you are not going to have assurance of your salvation because your salvation will not come through what you can do. So as long as you've got that going on, you're going to be missing out in the richness, the confidence, the freedom that comes from grace. This grace did not just start in the book of Matthew in the New Testament. God is giving us signals of his grace all the way back in Genesis. So let's look at how this plays out because, man, this is one of my favorite, favorite things in Scripture. So we're going back to Genesis 15, and I'm going to skip us ahead to verse 17, okay? So what's happened is that God has said, I'm I'm God, and this is what I'm going to do. And Abram says back to him, how will I know this is going to happen? Now remember, what God is saying to Abram just feels completely impossible to Abram. He's already 100 years old. He laughs at the idea that he's going to have children. His wife is 100 years old. God's like, hey, you're going to have an heir. He's like, what? Come again? Like, no, I'm not, you know? He's kind of, but it says that he believed God. Like, he believed that God could do the impossible, and he believed him. And he, but he has some follow-up questions. He's like, how's this going to be? How's this really going to happen? And so 
the Lord sets up a ceremony basically for Abram. He says, I'm going to show you how this is going to happen. And so God says for Abram to bring him some animals. So there's a heifer, a goat, a ram, there's a dove, there's a pigeon. Okay. All these things happen. He brings them to God and Abram sacrifices these animals and he cuts them in half and he puts them apart, like separated from each other. This is real bloody. Okay. This is a real sacrifice. Something is dying in order for this to happen. I don't know if you've ever remembered as a kid when you're like, let's be, let's be blood brothers or let's be blood sisters, which is just, I'm sure, appalling to remember now that we're in COVID. But the idea of like, we're going to like, we're going to mix our blood so that we become blood relatives. We're going to go through some pain so we can have this ceremony to show that we truly are best, best friends. Where does that idea come from? This idea, like, I got to have some pain. I got to have some skin in the game in order to, to show how much I mean what I mean. So these animals are sacrificed. They're laid apart from each other. It is super bloody. And it says in verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. We are talking about the Exodus right now. We're talking about when the Israelites were enslaved. We're going to talk about it next week or the week after, so stay with me. It says, I'll punish the nation. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a great age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. We could talk a lot about what's going on here, but let's try to stay where we're going, which is around this idea of a promise. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the Euphrates. And it goes on. What we have here is this thing happening. Okay. Now, if we go down to our study notes, if we're like, what the heck is happening here? This is why your Bible is so helpful. What is happening here? What's the backstory? What's going on? We got some animals cut up. They're on the ground. There's a lot of blood. Now Abram's sleeping. Now there's a fire pot going between the animals. Okay. What is happening? Verse 17. Here's our study note. The smoking fire pot symbolizes the presence of God. Thank you, study notes. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Now we know. Okay. God's represented by the smoking fire pot. It goes on and it says, they passed, it passed between the pieces of the slaughtered animals. This is just me reading the study note, y'all. In ancient times, the parties sometimes solemnized a covenant by walking between the pieces of slaughtered animals. The practice signified this oath. May this be done to me if I do not keep my oath and pledge. Okay. So now God is using a symbol that was used from in humanity at the time. Remember what we talked about last week, guys, tribal, tribal warfare, co- the conquest. There's no contracts. There's no lawyers. There's no law. There's no prisons. There's no way to enforce a promise. So when we're together, we're, and I'm, I'm making you a promise, we may want, if it's a really important promise, we may do something that will cost us both in order to signify how serious we are about our promise. So if you and I were, let's say, exchanging land, or we were making a land deal, or we were making a deal about, you know, our families, someone was getting married in our families, we might say, we are really serious about this deal. We are both so serious about this deal that we're going to bring something to the table that's going to cost us. So we're going to bring our animals, because that would have been, you know, currency at that time. 
I'm going to bring an animal, a healthy, wonderful animal. I'm going to cut this thing in half. I'm going to sacrifice an animal to prove to you that I mean it. Okay. That I mean it, our promise. And then what's more is you and I are going to stand opposite of those animals and we're going to cross through that bloody path. We're going to take a cross. We're each going to exchange places. And what we're saying to each other is, may, may I be like this bloody animal if I don't keep my promise. And we're coming into it as equal partners. Okay. Question three, what does it mean? Here's the thing, guys. In this passage, Abram does not pass. Abram does not pass through the bloody sacrifice. God makes a sacrifice. He puts Abram into a sleep. And we assume based on the sleep that this is all he sees all this as a vision. He understands all this as a vision. And God himself passes through the covenant alone. Only God goes through the covenant ceremony. He does both parts. He doesn't say to Abram, hey, you pass with me. We're equal. If you don't do what I say, then, you know, if you don't believe me, then it's gone. No, it's an unconditional covenant. It's not conditional on Abram. It's conditional on God. So it's not actually an unconditional covenant. It's a conditional covenant on God's merit. God himself symbolizes himself in a fire pot, passes through the bloody animals, makes the sacrifice not only for Abram, which is also for us, but for himself. And so when we see this and you think about the idea of what Jesus did, it's not a big leap. On the Passover, on the Passover, the time where an animal is sacrificed, where blood is put over the door frame so that the angel of death will pass over, on the Passover, Jesus goes to the cross. He sacrifices his body on a cross. He takes on a cursed death on a cross. He suffers on a cross. He does it all, and it's not conditional. And here, friends, our minds and our hearts are unveiled to the idea that God has been writing this massive story about the promises that he gives us as his people and about how he will do the work to bring us into relationship with him. And what is our part? What does it mean for me? What is our part? Y'all remember? Say it with me, wherever you are, in your car, at the dishes. Abram's part was belief. Our part is what? Belief. That's all we bring to the table, you guys. All we bring to the table is the belief that God is this good, this loving, this intentional with his way of coming into relationship with us, that he does not place us in a position to do anything that we cannot actually ourselves do. When he put Abram to sleep, he said, you can't do this. You can't pass through this covenant, but I will pass through it for you. And Jesus looks at us and says, you can't do this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will pass through this covenant. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. But your job is belief. Thanks for being with me, you guys. Next week, we're going to be back. And we are going to be on to Moses. We are skipping all the way ahead to Exodus chapter 34 and Numbers 21. Okay, Exodus 34, Numbers 21. I cannot wait. See you then. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of lifeaudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens 
and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that, plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 